Tari Mihailov, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and you're watching without your head. And you will be watching without your head if you don't watch without your head. Live here at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil, and we just watched In the Dark, the world premiere. And now we're joined by a, a bunch of very cool people here who were involved involved in the movie. We have David Black. Hey. Vixie Tay. I hope I pronounced the name right. Hello. Michael Epstein, who, uh, who bathed for us. Which I did. Was. I did. Michael Fosty. Hello. I did believe as well, but earlier. <laughs> Sam Mason Bell. Hello. Along with Chris Mills. Hello. And Patch also in the background there. Yeah. <laughs> and Dane Keel, who is, I'm very happy to see he's wearing the shirt. Yes, that's uh, pronounced Kyle. Kyle, I'm sorry. I, sh- I should ask all these things beforehand, but I'm very unprofessional. I know it's a very common thing, so don't worry. All right. Fair enough. So it was very cool to watch a movie. Was it the first time for most of you seeing it, uh, seeing the, the final film? Yes. Yep. I haven't I assume seen not that for footage. Sam because he probably edited it. Well, yeah, that was the first time. I've known that was the second time. Second time I'd watched it all the way through, and I still see bits that I need to like tighten before it goes out. Distribution. Oh, it, well, I was going to ask that. Is this the final uh, version? After watching it tonight, no. It, it needs clarity of who the people are. I realized by just throwing you into them, needed to clearly the names at the bottom. And there was a couple of random little edits bits, which I was like, all right, okay, I'll fix that up. Yeah. But it, I was actually going like, to mention that to you off air, but since you brought up, I do think uh, my critique would be to add uh, names in uh, for, for the. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I just kind of missed it, but this was a good opportunity just to get people to see what the documentary is about, and I can clean that up nice and easily for when it's yeah. out wider. So, it's oh, also a small mistake in the credits. Oh, um, that's guaranteed. Sorry about that. I'll correct in that. the first part, one fellow's mentioned twice, and Vixie isn't mentioned, oh. and at the very end, Vixie's name's misspelled. Well, I am a terrible person when it comes to grammar, and people always complain to me about spelling. Fortunately, we have these sweetings to clean yeah. up, so I'll get that all cleaned up. It's nice to have this Q&A so we can all attack Sam <laughs> here on the screen. Oh, no, I didn't mean to <laughs> no, attack no, Sam. No. It's Anybody just talking about fear, and I'm more scared of Vixie than Sam. <laughs> She's going to get me. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, uh, before we went live, Dane mentioned we you guys filmed this like two years ago. So how long has it been in the making? A long time. <laughs> yeah, I originally contacted people. I think it was in the beginning of 2019. But because everyone like was recording their own footage, it took a long time for me to go through all of it and edit and obviously do the other projects in between. I was still trying to work out the correct artistic tone. That's when I got... Um, india kim involved to do the animation 
and to stylize it a bit more like 1920s kind of black and white silent movie stuff. And after that, I felt more comfortable that it was close to it. Plus, we were having some people who weren't getting videos until later on. It was just a long, long process. And I'd only done one other documentary like this, and that took a long time too. So that's what I've gathered from this, is that talkie documentaries can take a long time because you get so much good material. Mm-hmm. And you've got to try and decide, like, which stories are fitting to these points. Is this way too dark and depressing, but or is this captivating so yeah, there was a lot to get through and just try and find the strongest stuff. I didn't want it to run for like three hours long. The first right. cut was three and a half hours long. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, we got to get rid of some of this stuff. Yeah. It's just too much. It was interesting. You said uh, you guys, you started, had the idea and started filming in 2019. Cause I think a lot of people now, if they see a documentary and everyone's film, you know, by themselves, everyone assumes it was like a COVID uh, project. Like you started to film it uh, during the uh, pandemic. Yeah, that's true. It is kind of weird that there was so many of that, like self-filming afterwards. But I, I get it. It's, it's so much easier way to get a community together and create something. So, yeah, it's kind of cool that people do that more often now. Yeah. So, uh, Michael, how did you uh, get approached to do this? And what did you think of the finished film? Which Michael are we talking about? Oh, that's a very good yeah, question. We'll, we'll go with uh, Fosty here. He's the middle square, at least on mine. <laughs> Um, Sam reached out to me, I guess, probably early 2019. And uh, the dodgy suit that you're seeing me wearing in in sort of my segments was actually we were doing pickup shots for Exit. Uh, so we actually recorded our sort of like um, our bits sort of, you know, while we were sort of, you know, doing our sort of pickup shots for Exit. But um, yeah, sort of I sort of knew Sam from uh, Horror on Sea and obviously sort of trash arts. But uh, yeah, we sort of conversed via social media and Sam sent some sort of questions over. And I was more than happy to kind of, you know, bang on about, you know, disturbing events from childhood and stuff like that and uh, film it. Yeah. And what did you think of the finished uh, product? Yeah. I know it's not. There's stuff he's going to touch up. We know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I like the um I like the animation. I think uh, you know that really adds. Um, you know, Sam was earlier talking about sort of artistic tone. I think it sort of strikes the right kind of uh, artistic tone, and uh, yeah, adds a real sort of creepiness, and actually works as quite a nice sort of wrap around to sort of tie all the segments together. Because you know, it's a, it's a tricky job tying together all these sort of different segments and tones and voices together. But no, he's uh, he's done a great job. Yeah, and uh, Michael number two Epstein, how did you get involved? Oh, the same, same basic idea. Uh, Sam had reached out and um, I think it was probably like s- summer of 2019 that, that we shot it. And it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to get a chance to kind of reflect on uh, some, some of these elements of like why we make horror movies. Cause we, you know, we're, we're, we're always kind of caught up in like, why are we doing anything that we're doing in, in the world, in our lives, especially <laughs> this last year. And so it was a, it was a, a really nice, um, it was a nice piece to have the opportunity to kind of reflect on some of the purpose and meaning in, in the creative things that we do. So that was great. Yeah. I enjoyed well, seeing it. I'm going to go uh, with everybody, but along those lines, I like that. It wasn't just um, what movies uh, you were afraid of. You also went into, you know, personal fears. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was important. It wasn't like the thing is because I was producing this with Tony and Tony had done a lot of documentaries of a similar kind of thing of looking at the film specifically. And as filmmakers, we do take in inspirations from so many different areas. So it was important to just look at all, almost, yeah, like in that psychological defining of what is fear. Everyone has their own definition. And that was really fascinating to, yeah, see people's different responses. And then, yeah, tell some scary stories from their actual life, you know? Mm-hmm. 
That's a good point about personal um, definition of fear, because I know one of the uh, one of the filmmakers mentioned uh, being repulsed, and I don't necessarily know if, if for me personally, if that means uh, the same thing as being afraid of something. Yeah, I suppose it's different for each person. It's it's like those. Yeah, it's like if you feared, I don't know, um, sugar, and it repulsed you <laughs> to the point, or like the my horror story thing we did ages ago with Simon, fearing food itself, so he eats shit. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. That, that kind of idea yeah, that was not a documentary monsters. by the way so no, people no. don't think oddly of simon yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna make a horror movie now called sugar <laughs> by the way uh, excellent shirt as we mentioned and uh dane how did you get involved um well i know sam through tony i've done a few um projects with tony involved in the past and sam um again submitted footage uh with the questions etc um it was kind of fun to watch this back because i was like geez i was like 20 to 30 pounds heavier than i am now um and i had facial hair which i don't anymore and you know all these just all these different life changes you know it wasn't 20 pounds of facial hair no, I wish. Now that that'd be a different movie, right. but uh, no, it was a fun one. I did notice you used the probably the best pieces from what I sent over, um, you know, which was good because uh, I could honestly. I it was so long ago, I can't remember what all I said, but uh, I think you used the best pieces. But no, I've I've uh, done some other projects with Tony and Sam in the past, and it was I'm always always a fan of those, and always glad to be involved. Yeah. And the sugar line you mentioned, I know you're, you're joking, but was that part of uh, the weight loss, like getting rid of sugar? Um, yes, actually, uh, which is I just finished off uh, Pepsi Zero instead of regular. Um, that plus um, just not eating as much, you know, just, you know, trying to be a healthier person, I suppose. Not that I was unhealthy, but, uh, you know, just little bits here and there. But, yeah, I'm so much has changed since then. I, I filmed that in my old apartment and I had my now ex fiance, uh, in the room there, you know, not with me anymore, you know, just a lot of, a lot of life changes, but you know, overall for the better. And it does feel better to be like 20 to 30 pounds lighter. Yeah. It's also an interesting, uh, cause you brought up a lot of personal things. So when you're watching the movie, um, what do you think of it as a movie, but you're also just watching it, just uh, the personal differences over the last couple of years? Oh, I know. Yeah, it's well. So as a movie, I think uh, I concur with some of the larger points as far as like, you know, probably some tightening up, probably just reminding people who everyone is, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it was fun to reminisce uh, just because I remember I, it's something that only I would know. Nobody watching at home would know that. But like. You know, so so fun fact, me and Esmeralda James, who um, we filmed our segments in the same setup that it was in my apartment. She set up the screen, all that stuff. Um, but we just shot separately. And um, so that's why we have the same background, because we shot it in the same place. But um, no, it was it was just interesting because I was like I was in a much different mental place then than I am now. And I. I think that if I were to go back and do it again, I would, you know, probably either do things differently or I would, uh, you know, have a different uh, frame of mind, I guess. It's interesting. Could have different uh, answers for what uh, what fears you today, maybe. Uh, 
yeah, maybe a few different ones, but I, th- I think the answers I gave, they still hold up, especially when it comes to like Your what I want to, what, what childhood and also what I want to bring to future work, because, uh, you know, I do want to, cont- I was reminded of that. I was like, gee, I need to get back to, you know, the uh, need to make something that does disturb people on a deeper level than just the visceral, which is what I was hoping to do. And then, of course, the pandemic hit and it made it difficult to uh, do a lot of the projects I wanted to do. But, um, you know, that's what the future is for. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vixie, how did you get involved? Um, well, I, I was just following David. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We were... We were filming our short film. Um, I believe it was Transgression Regre- Regression, which is why I was still wearing the lab coat. Um, and, uh, yeah, David uh, invited me on board to, like, uh, participate, and I leapt on the, uh, onto it because, like, I mean, I, I love uh, showbiz and I do love um, – I really do love – documentaries i've been studying a fair bit of that at uh, university at the moment and um i've been working with one of my lecturers who uh, actually did uh one of the shark documentaries that's currently on disney plus oh really so yeah uh, she was one of the researchers on that project um and i love sharks i think sharks are wonderful creatures they're just beautiful and amazing and of course we love the movies like jaws and things like that so uh yeah what is it about documentaries that appeal to you um i think it's that beautiful sort of um realism like it really is like something that's like tangible and something that you experience in real life um and that it's uh it's a real solid knowledge like um it's information that's uh, very directly applicable to your life. And uh, since uh, Vixie, you brought up David. David, how did you get involved? Well, this is all um, pre-pandemic, pre-lockdown. And, uh, well, Sam had uh, invited me in to and sent me the questions. I've done quite a lot. Um, Sam is just like this machine. He brings out a lot of uh, documentaries, a lot of anthologies, and I've um, done quite a few for him. I've done quite a few for Tony. And uh, because I was just working uh, film after film after film after film, I was um, finding it hard to concentrate. I was very burnt out. And I'd been hit in a short time by five documentary filmmakers all doing um, documentaries on horror with multiple guests. Um, There was even a big argument on my uh, Facebook page because I'd put up that I was doing a documentary and another guy puts up, I'm doing a documentary. I've got the same (laughs) idea. Fortunately, that was all solved and the two guys actually interviewed each other for their documentaries. Interesting. But I was going to make a documentary about documentaries now. (laughs) Well, I needed Vixie because she's very smart and she can keep her head together. And I think I might have had her in um, as Soundy, but I know she was to do two documentaries. Do you remember we did two that day? Yeah. The first one was um, we went back over all of the spots close by where we'd done film, where I'd done short films. And uh, 
I was Schlock Holmes and you were Dr. Potts and you were like in your own little world. That yeah. one that one never made the cut, so I don't even think that fella's film came out. But um, this one made the cut. We came out. Of the other three, one still hasn't come out. And I, I when you got five lots of different questions and you got the same filmmaker, uh, it wasn't Gerardo's, this wasn't... Um, uh, that body dysmorphia one you mentioned, this was uh, a week later or two weeks later. Uh, but I had a guy called David come out and film, and he filmed five of them. All of them were at different locations. It was spectacular. This was actually the dullest location of the lot. Spectacular. Always dressed differently, etc. And every time somebody asked me a question, I seemed like an absolute moron because <laughs> I'd have one mixed up with the other. I couldn't remember this one's name or that one's name. I had made a folder where I've got the footage of three of them and I can't find the other two. And um, I just thought, if I don't get Vixie on board, she's the only one is actually tolerant of me when I get euphasia. Have you ever noticed that? Everyone else attacks me. They think, oh, he must be an incompetent filmmaker. He must be this. He must be that. But what happens is everybody's hanging off me in the films for so much that I'm coming to the aid of so many people while producing, directing, and uh, making props and uh, also acting that when we're on this boom, treadmill, the one that this film's going out for that um, anthology and that film's going out for that and I refuse to let anyone down, I get to a point that I can't remember anything. And Vixie is a brain with, in that one, you had three degrees. You're on your way to your PhD now, aren't you? Oh, yes. I'm studying my master's at the moment. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't mention it because they're all going to poach you now. <laughs> but, yeah, I couldn't have actually done have, that one I have without nothing Vixie. called loyal to me. <laughs> yeah, you belong to me forever. I own your soul. <laughs> So I had to bring Vixie in to keep my head on straight because it was just too much, too fast, and I was getting close to burnout. And I thought, well, hang on. There's got to be something in it for Vixie. She's a filmmaker in her own right. Um, show them your trophy. I know you carry it with you everywhere. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. It's, my, it's my good friend. It's a weapon, too, yeah. yeah. So Vixie is a filmmaker in her own right. And um, so I, I fished it out to her, and I knew that if – I just blanked out on on um, the screen or whatever, or if I let anybody down, she could take over and then um, they could just cut me out and put Vixie in and nobody would be angry that I let anybody down with not getting the footage in. Excellent. Now, None I, of that made sense, did it? <laughs> I think it made perfect sense. Well, I mean, from a filmmaker's point of view, that made plenty of sense, and that is why we have editors. Um, so uh, thank you. Was it Michael that was editing there? Uh, which Michael, by the way? <laughs> uh, uh, how about uh, Chris? We don't want to forget Chris stop, there. Stop the yeah, how, how did Chris get involved? <laughs> or were you just in the room with Sam, and he's just like, you're in here? <laughs> so Sam and I have worked on a few different projects together and um, yeah, it's kind of when things come together last minute, you know, it's a mixture of, you know, who's available and, and who you want around. So because we've worked on all of that stuff together, yeah, he called me in. Yeah, I thought it'd be kind of fun for Chris to do a couple of like ran random characters dressing up as Dracula and it was just like, it was all shot in this kitchen. Mm -hmm. We just put a black drop where the table is and just, yeah, we had the makeup artist over there, Katie Johnson. And we just jump in between it, between him and Bella. 
Unfortunately, Chris and Ben have worked with each other loads, so yeah. it was a yeah, it was a pretty chill evening. Yeah, pretty comfy show. <laughs> uh, when did you decide to do like the reenactments, you know, and not just have the the talking heads? I guess. I think I always wanted to do it. I always I didn't want to like do it like um, that documentary Haunted on Netflix. I didn't want it to be dramatic reconstructions because I don't have the budget to be able to justify that, and I didn't want it to have that kind of that cheesy element of being fed rather than the story being told. I wanted to find what they said and find those artistic ways to to tell it. So if it was it was zombies or if it was the body horror, it was an opportunity just to show those moments that you would have seen in other kind of films. So I always wanted to do it from the beginning, but it was one of the last stages I did. I wanted to edit the whole entire thing so I definitely knew. And with India, we kind of went through the list and went, okay, what should be animation? What should be filmed? And what are we just going to find some random stock footage for? So it was like it was a nice mix of just trying to keep it interesting enough, but not distract away from the people talking, yeah, and to not do certain imagery on certain stories where the story is very serious and people have been injured, and you're like, well, I can't, you know, it feels kind of uh, false for me to try and recreate that moment. It feels inappropriate, and some stories I just went, nah, I won't try. Uh, since the pandemic came up a couple times, uh, we'll start with uh, Michael Fosty. Um, has that changed how you look at making movies and how you would, how you do a horror movie? I don't mean like you want to make a movie about the pandemic, but has it just changed how you would, how you're going to make movies in the future? I, I guess it's kind of a consideration because I think realistically they, you know, we've all kind of changed how we do everything. And I think that that is going to kind of feed into sort of filmmaking, everything from your sort of pre-production to, you know, being on set, you know, you're, I don't know. It's one of those kind of sort of weird things that really, you know, all the sort of things that people sort of talk about being afraid of, you know, I think what people are really afraid of is sort of something that is going to sort of take over their bodies and end their lives, which became a reality for a hell of a lot of people in the last two years. And we were just, you know, Lou Nosbod and I were talking about this this morning, two years ago. None of this was kind of part of our everyday life, but now you're kind of thinking about certain precautions that you take. And I think, I think, you know, it took us a while to get into these habits and I think it's going to take us a while to get out of it. But I think it's really reminded us of a really basic sort of human fear. And I, I don't know, I sort of, um, I wonder how much sort of, uh, you know, COVID-19 is going to play a part in terms of sort of filmmaking going forward. I mean, are we going to see a lot of analogies and movies that are really dealing with COVID-19, but using various metaphors to explore that? I sincerely hope we're not going to see a whole bunch of kind of like outbreak disease movies because, yeah. uh, you know, I think the zombie the zombie genre, you know, was well and truly, you know, had covered that, you know, just before COVID-19. But I don't know. I think interesting times ahead. And I mean, what we're doing now, you know, let's face it, nobody really got their head around Zoom and stuff like that, or at least I hadn't. Yeah, I, I had actually we, never even heard of it until, uh, until uh, last year, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, we were sort of forced to engage with it. Otherwise, you, know, you weren't going to talk to anybody. So, um, you know, when we're sort of doing castings and stuff like that now, you know, we are kind of thinking, well, do we need to meet? Yeah, people? even just the practical yeah. level, level, it changes everything. Yeah. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I think there's also the idea of um, do people want to be scared now since we have scary things in the real world or do you want to give them an escape? So, there's, I think, you know, ask a lot of questions. Well, but think about it historically insofar as um, this was the most transformative time for a generation of people since 
9-11, which probably was the most transformative event. Like I'm talking about a singular event, not so much like a sustained period of time. Um, you know, that was like a, it led to a sustained period of time, but it's like a, a single impetus. Um, you know, it transformed generation in the way that 9-11 did in the way that like Pearl Harbor did for the World War II generation and that kind of stuff didn't stop people from making war movies or movies about terrorist attacks, that sort of thing. Um, or even horror films, it just reframed the debate, reframed people's mindsets. Um, because like, for example, the Universal Monster films during World War II were horror movies, but they were also kind of, um, you know, spectacles, um, you know, that they were spectacles in their own um, right. You know, they were kind of the pre-Marvel um, cinematic universe, the, you know, those sorts of things. Um and then, um, you know, with 9-11 and everything, I think that that does put pe- uh, people in a different frame of mind. It introduces more paranoia, that sort of thing. Like, uh, I think Cabin Fever was one of the first big horror films that came out, uh, you know, when it, it was made relatively shortly after 9-11 and then came out like in early 2003. So, in other words, it was a different mindset, a different kind of paranoia, because that is ultimately what that's about. And that actually is a disease movie. Um, and then this, I think you've got isolation, you've got lockdowns, you've got, you know, people being separate, separated from each other, from what they care about, what they love, the people they love, that sort of thing. And I really wonder what that's going to do to not just people like me and you and everyone here who's all grown ups, but also it's going to what that's going to do for kids you know, that grew up during this time because they are going to school and then all of a sudden they have to be homeschooled ostensibly, which I was homeschooled before it was, you know, mandatory or whatever, Um, you know, and so I I really do wonder what that's going to do psychologically to kids that are growing up. And then the few of those who go on to make films in general, let alone horror films, there's just a lot of, it's a, the the possibilities are endless, but I think it is going to have a transformative effect in the way that 9-11 did, in the way that Pearl Harbor did on filmmakers and the public in general. Uh, Michael Epstein, do you have any uh, comments on this? Sure. Well, I I think, uh, you know, kind of building on what Dan was saying, it's a lot of of what he was mentioning is really kind of specific to uh, U.S. experience or American experience. And I think, you know, looking at the group here, it's people from around the world, and um, this is maybe one of the few recent events that's been experienced pretty universally um, amongst everybody, you know, acro- across the globe. So I think, you know, there's a there's a sort of unifying um, element, I guess, that that's going to kind of take, I think, take fo- take place in media that we're going to take take hold in media and change the way that we create and the way that we consume things um, going forward. I don't know. You know, it's hard to it's hard to predict exactly what that will mean. And I know, uh, you know, Neil, you had mentioned maybe not wanting to make things that are as dark or as serious. And I know like w- watching movies this year, there was a long period where it was like very difficult to watch anything other than, you know, I, I was watching like, uh, uh, you know, seven howling movies or things that are pretty goofy because <laughs> right. I can't I couldn't watch anything that was like ser- a serious emotional investment. Um so, you know, I think there's there we're still kind of coming out of that. And there's a lot of uh, transition from from that kind of emotional, draining, traumatic experience. So, yeah, I just know but, myself. I started going back to the theater a few months ago and a lot of movies. I'd be the only person or very few. And over just 
lately the movies are packed again. So I, I don't, you know, it seems like people are really starting to go back out. I don't even know if people would return to the theaters, but uh, it seems like they have. I think people have been starved for human connection for such a long time that probably some of that is driving it. Um, you know, I've, I, my own theater attendance actually started to go down prior to the pandemic. Um, and it hasn't really gone up that much since then, mostly because a lot of the stuff I would like to see, I'm like, well, I could probably buy this on 4k or, or, or Blu-ray or whatever it is and save myself a theater ticket. And, you know, if, if I know I like it enough, I can just add it to the collection or whatever. But, um, yeah, I do think for a while there, you know, there was kind of a wonder of what is the market even ready for, you know, what are people, you know, what do they have on, on minds, um, you know, like a, as illogical and flawed as like Wonder Woman 1984 was, I think the the intention behind that, especially at that time, was probably a noble one because that's all movie about hope and about, you know, the entire world experiencing the same thing. Uh, just not done especially well, but like the intention seems like right place, right time, just, you know, had some errors there, but um, you know, at any rate um, yeah. To piggyback there off of what, uh, you know, Michael Epstein was saying there, I think, um, you know, the examples I brought up before, they were very uniquely United States centric events uh, but this truly was a worldwide event that affected everyone the same way, um, which is unprecedented in world history. And it has affected the way that um, everyone has lived their lives. And especially like me with with filmmaking, I know that um, a lot of the stuff I wanted to do, I had to put on hold um, partially because of the pandemic, partially because of um you know, just personal crises of like job losses and moves and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which a lot of people experience. But, you know, now that more people are getting vaccinated and more things are kind of sort of starting to stabilize a little bit, you know, I'm dusting off a few ideas. Um, But I I learned quickly that you have to be pretty self-reliant when it comes to making your own content. So a lot of the stuff that I was doing that these kinds of self tape things uh, for documentaries and for other projects. Like I did a pro- another film called dark uh, web. Um, you know, it was a uh, deep, you know, it was a dark web unboxing uh, anthology film and that was self taped and uh, during lockdown and everything, um, you know, so it does change the way you have to do things. But then I also was transitioning into doing some YouTube centric reviews and things like that um, that I could do by myself. So, you know, it does change the way you do things, but you know, now I'm trying to exercise those muscles again. Yeah. <clears throat> I never did the, these, uh, Q and a kind of things before uh, the pandemic. What were you saying, David? Oh, um, if I can build on what Michael, um, Epstein was saying, um, he, he made the perfect point that, um, this was experienced worldwide. And you asked about uh, how has it transformed filmmaking and what can we expect in the future? Well, the minute the um, pandemic, uh, well, Mel- Vixie and I are from Melbourne, which is the most locked down city in the world. Mm. We were locked down for nearly all of the pandemic. And uh, what I found was that not every city went through the same thing. 
So people were able to go out and about in this city for a while and that city for a while. And Vixie was the star of uh, a film that I'm about to bring out called Toxic Alien Zombie Babes from Outer Space. I scripted it. it. Yeah, she's a fantastic uh, zombie. And I scripted it and we got the scripts out to filmmakers around the world. We're not talking Zoom footage. We're talking about uh, filmmakers that have already got out their features, that have got names, and they've got crews. And I said, do you want to do this? And they said, yes. So something would have been, uh, I know that we had Geechee Films filming in South Carolina, a gangbanger scene, had Tony Martin filming in England, and all of these are professionally shot this type of collaboration is what we'll see more of going forward because six months before the pandemic, if I'd come up with this idea, I don't think anyone would have been open to it that has said, go shoot your own bloody stuff, right? So, uh, and, and I do want to shoot my own stuff. I, I wasn't being lazy. But we were able to get footage shot in, say, four different countries by using green screen and different techniques put people together that would never get on set. So let's say Dane and Michael Fausti um, are in different places and I wanted them to be my actors. Nowadays, moving forward, you could have Dane doing a scene with Michael. You could have the background if you wanted the Statue of Liberty and nobody else is near it. You could film the Statue of Liberty. You can film different things, put them all together. We are... It's forced us all to collaborate more or at least open people's minds. And I believe we'll see far more collaborations. Um, I'm not using a collaboration in the very next film we're doing because we're just like, hey, we're free. We can get out the front door again. Let's all together and make a film. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to, in the future, be working with a lot more of the people that you see here if they'll work with me. Um, and uh, I want to be making films with everybody that um, I've admired their work for so many years. I want to work with them, not just put together a film and give it to Sam as an anthology, you know, for his anthology, so they just cut our film in, but maybe have Sam in my film or be in Sam's film. We can work together uh, more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, Um, like... I'm open to it. (laughs) The um the thing with the whole like we all went through as a world a, a trauma, and it's something that not everybody's obviously we all react in different ways, and some have reacted in a sort of ignorance or uh, you know like doubling down on protection. But we've all been with that same trauma. I think it's going to take time for that post traumatic stress to really play out. But we, as a community, at least as filmmakers in, in indie horror, we've been able to come together and use that trauma like we do in horror and, you know, make something creative. So it is cool that people now see the opportunity that, oh, great, we can go and work with USA, we can go and work with Australia, work wherever we want because we're all trying to create something good in the end. And I think beforehand, anthologies offered that opportunity. But, yeah, when we got into this whole Zoom generation kind of thing, it's really opened that up to, to more different kind of stories. And I think that's more important than necessarily what kind of films we should be making. We should be making the films we're still making. The world's a shitty place. There's plenty of horror to look into and find bits and bobs everywhere. So like that never ends. That's what horror is so good. It's the best genre because it can truly reflect how shitty society is. Mm-hmm. And that that's what's important. 
So it's not necessarily about, oh, make more films about the pandemic. It's more going, well, how do we communicate? Let's keep that going, like Dave was saying. Yeah. Um, Actually, Vixie's got something that she can contribute. Vixie went and moved from Melbourne to Sydney just as the pandemic hit, and she was the star of my film. Can you tell us, Vixie, how you work collaboratively with Gerardo here to get your stuff shot? <laughs> Oh, well, again, yes, we were using green screen um, and uh, I'm pretty lucky that the university I'm studying with SAE is very well equipped. Um, so I was able to borrow some of their equipment for um, some of the shoots. Uh, and I was just really super lucky that, like, um, I just happen to always like move at the right time and just get and um get the filming done at the right time like literally like i would do film a shoot and then the next day they would announce a lockdown so i'd be like if i had waited like one more day <laughs> i wouldn't have been able to do the shoot um and yeah, I seriously, I've just been so incredibly lucky with the timing. And um, I also like, um, like I made sure that I was uh, staying at a place that was like within walking distance from the university as well. So like when they announced the, uh, the, the restrictions of like the distances you could travel and things like that. I was like the only person that was like able to actually go in onto the campus and like do anything physically that needed to be required. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was just a matter of uh, just setting, I had like setting myself up for success in the way that like, I re I did actually plan like those things where it was like, okay, I need to be in a convenient location. Um, I need to have these resources available and just like, like having some sort of forethought that like, oh, if this happens, am I prepared for that? Um, which is a, a little bit strange because of, like, I, there's of course the extreme of like, you know, creating like an underground bunker and like, um, <laughs> and um, building a whole spaceship and things like this <laughs> to like um, wow. avoid like huge catastrophes. But like um, to some degree, you do have to kind of plan for like the worst um like but at the same time it's like you don't really ha want to go too overboard with it so it was just uh it, it was just a partial partially paranoid planning and partially like just really good luck that i just happened to like um have those plans in place when um things did actually go wrong now, you also had Gerardo still directing from Melbourne via Zoom. Yep. That, that yes. was the sort of collaboration I was talking about. So, oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. So the, oh, in Sydney, the technology in these days is fantastic. I am so thankful for Wi-Fi. Like every night I actually pray to God, thank you, God, for Wi-Fi. Because <laughs> we are able to like, I was able to stay in um, contact with uh, Gerard and David and um, everyone. Uh, we were uh, like, like the... I shot the video files that were like um, raw on red cameras. So like those files were really huge and we were still able to like upload that um, to, to each other. And then I was able to get some feedback from Gerardo as well. Um, 
like even on messenger and things like that um and uh yeah i just sort of just did as i was told (laughs) but that's the real point there you see um Mm. instead of just ending the script and expecting somebody else just to do it uh, and leaving them alone. Um, any one of the people up here that directs can actually be on Zoom. They can see a screen and have the director say, can you move here, move there? So you've still got your director. You're gonna, still going to have your DOP in the room with professional cameras. In the past, our collaborations were just uh, getting somebody to um, do animations remotely and send them to us or create um, the soundtrack. Now you can have the acting. There's nothing you can't do remotely. Yeah, um, and on top of that, uh, working with the pandemic and stuff, we had restrictions about how many people could be on set and things like that. So um, what what ended up happening was we were doing a lot of tag teaming. So it was like um, the lighting crew comes in, sets up the lights and then actually leaves the set. And then like the the actors and the director, uh, well, actually the actors would come in and like block out the scenes and stuff while the director actually watched in another room on a on a screen um like separately um so and we also had like uh the recording we ended up setting up like the recording studio was like in the next in the room next door and we had to like wire sound into um into the room so there was like a lot of like problem solving that happened when we were trying to work out how to like just film while still being uh, while still following all the protocols and all the safety measures that were set by COVID. Uh, Sam, why weren't you in the movie? Oh, um, basically like with so many people that got in touch, I didn't want to clog it up with myself. <laughs> um, I thought I maybe you were afraid it. of talking about your fears. Maybe. I don't know. Oh no, but that's the thing. Like by making the films, you're kind of already, yeah, I don't know. I just I didn't feel like it was appropriate for me to be talking. In some ways, I wish I did because it would have been cool to be amongst everyone. But it wasn't about that. It was more about taking people's fears and then create, you know, documenting it and trying to create some sort of artistic telling of the story. Yeah, I did think about it, but there was yeah, we got a decent amount of people coming through. Oh yeah, there's a lot of people. I was very cool. So many people involved. And uh, but by the way, what is uh, what would be some of the movies that uh, that do uh, scare you? Or scared you when you were younger? Oh, um, when I first watched Blair Witch, it was the credits. That when I was young, I was like, because I think I was about ten, and my first assumption was, "Oh my god, it's a true story. This is this is a documentary. This is real." And it wasn't even necessarily the actions in the film, which later on I appreciated more. It was just seeing those credits and thinking, "Oh my god, I've just watched a snuff movie." So <laughs> it was it was more that impression. Like I loved horror from an early age. And it was more the excitement of the monsters and the nightmares itself rather than that initial fear. Like, I can remember all those prominent horror films, like when you first watch The Exorcist and the first after that, into that second hour where it just loses its mind and you just, you turn it off because you're 12 and you're like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I was the kind of person that would turn something off if it was too much. Uh-huh. Whereas later on when I got into more films like, David Cronenberg's Crash and Naked Lunch and stuff like that. And I was seeing extremities and the horror in a different sort of sense. I sort of got more into seeing the shock and um, the more extremities. And I got, I, I didn't run out of the room. I didn't need to turn it off. 
So I just kind of put myself into watching the most disturbing things possible to not really get that horrified. But I love being horrified in films, but I, I like pushing how, I don't know, how far a filmmaker can go to really disturb you. Disturbing to me is more important than to scare someone, or at least what I'm interested in. Yeah, I actually agree with that just because not to be a tough guy, but like I watched horror movies since I was a little kid. And so really, I don't really get scared by horror movies. But it, if something's disturbing, uh, you know, as I think if you get an emotional, uh, if something is, it, uh, gets you emotionally, even if it's a negative emotion, you know, that's uh, doing some type of art. Yeah, you want something that kind of crawls into your mind and you're still thinking about it 72 hours later and and then you need to watch it again to understand why and then you're like, oh, God, why am I watching this again? <laughs> but it's that that's like a whole experience. And again, it is a fear experience, but it, it's a different kind of, it's more curiosity mm-hmm. of well, how, you know, how, why, why did, you know, those mechanisms and stuff. Yeah. Real quick about Blair Witch, because uh, it is kind of cool now, I think, for people to dislike Blair Witch, but... I think if you didn't watch it at the time, it's a weird movie to watch like now for the first time, because if you weren't there with all the buzz behind it and then all the and if you watch it now for the first time after all the movies after it that, you know, kind of copied it, uh, it probably I don't know what it would be like to watch it, but I assume it wouldn't be the same experience. I, I actually I actually might take the opposite opinion really? there for the Well, the reason why is because. Blair Witch was actually a pretty divisive movie when it came out. I mean, it got a Razzie nomination for worst picture, which is unbelievable to me because uh, I think it's one of the it's the best. Probably it's like the prototypical found footage film um, if you're not counting like Cannibal Holocaust. But like um, point is, it was a pretty divisive movie when it came out. It did make a lot of money, but it had a pretty strong hate of uh, like I had a fan base, but it had a hater following as well. I would argue that its reputation has grown with time because there have been so many that have tried to copy it and some have either succeeded uh, or they've just done their own thing. And, you know, within the found footage technique, but I don't think any of them ever equaled Blair Witch. Um, And so thus its reputation and its legacy have only grown sweeter with time because it really was, somewhat of lightning in a bottle because they built up that movie virally uh, for several years before it actually came out. And they really did seed the public consciousness for people to actually believe it was real. Um, and yeah, it just, I, I don't think you could really quite replicate that today, no. but I think it also. Cause the internet's so big now, it would be hard to put things out there to make people think it was like the internet was the perfect, uh, place at that time it was people knew of it but not everyone had it so yeah well, the, today the, the, there'd be so much everyone telling you it's not real you don't know when the, the closest that we've had to that in the modern age would be youtube args and um would be things like marble hornets isn't the best example because that was kind of explicitly a web series but like things that other like creepy channels on YouTube and stuff would later investigate or, or, you know, things like that to try to figure out, is this real? Is it not, Uh, you know, that sort of thing. That's about the closest we've got, but not really something that could be released in a movie theater per se, or put on shutter or something like that. Um, I do think you get examples of it today, but they're just not as widespread. And again, you could never do it with that kind of hype, that kind of public, 
profile again, because again, recall, remember that the stars of the movie had to basically retreat from public life for a good amount of time to sell the fact that it was real until the movie came out and then they appeared on talk shows and things like that to promote it. But like they had to like be in character pretty much the whole time for a good while before it came out. So yeah, I, I don't know if you would quite get that level of dedication again um, from people. Although I would sure like to see people try. I would like to see people really like, you know, actually the closest that we've seen to that, not a horror film, but like um, something like the, the um, Casey Affleck and uh, Joaquin Phoenix film. I'm still here um, where basically you know, Joaquin Phoenix had to give off the impression that he was indeed really quitting acting and really was going to be a hip hop artist and stuff like that. And but even then, people kind of suspected this is like a because yeah, I truly really like that movie, but I don't think it ever really caught on to the level that they were they hoped for. Yeah, but that's about the closest I can think of as far as or or yeah, someone like a Sasha Baron Cohen who would like disappear for a few years and then he would reemerge with, uh, you know, another um you know, hidden camera in character, either show or movie or something like that, you know, but again, not quite the same thing and not really horror, you know, yeah. um, but still like, I, 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 I heard that. And I was like, you know what? I, I think if anything, Blair, Witch's reputation has only grown sweeter with time because more imitators have come along and have shown just what a good job they really did. Um, and any of the successful found footage films that have come along since then, if they have been successful, they just did their own thing. Like I really loved VHS too. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. As a pro wrestling well, yeah. fan, I don't think you can put the, the toothpaste back in the bottle and make people yeah. believe it's real again. We had it's something so real like to that be, damn in it. Australia. <laughs> in Australia, we had um, a film come out, uh, 1975 called Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah. It, it was based on a book. We got sent to see it at school, and our teacher didn't know it was based on a book of fiction. The teacher believed it was real. People were talking about it for five, six years later, and uh, the media in Australia was, what really happened to the girls at Hanging Rock? Uh, people were theorising that aliens got them or the devil. Um, it was years before the majority – actually – I don't think the majority ever clicked on, but nowadays with um, with the internet, you look it up and you find out it was a book and this is a, a film of fiction. But when that was released uh, and for many so years later, people were going on about it like it was real. The locations were real though. Like uh, the actual uh, Hanging Rock lo like place exists. So they were like, and, um, and I think they said the, things happened the, on the, the orphanage set. as well. Yeah, that, well, I mean, the, th the the parts of it that really sold that it might be a real thing was the fact that there were a few locations and places and people that were actually real in the story. Most people weren't aware that it was based on a book of fiction. This came out yeah. and I remember I was one of those people. I, I was like in grade five and I used to wonder what happened to the girls at Hanging Rock as an adult, even if it was true, I couldn't give a shit. They were irritating, those, those girls. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, there was a book. I don't know if it was a bestseller or what, and everybody believed this uh, film that came out based on the book was based on a book that was based on a real event. You know what's sad, you know what's sad though, in the internet age? A lot of the time we have the opposite problem where like. Uh, oh, yeah. No, you don't want to believe anything that's real. Yeah. 
Well, that that or like you have something like Titanic, which was a real historical event. And then people <laughs> watching James Cameron's Titanic were like, the Titanic was real. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Read a history book, you moron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and there's a there's a few other things as well about like the representation that's uh, coming out. Like, um, um, I as somebody who is of Asian uh, um, Asian heritage, um, I'm really glad that we are having more and more representation. Um, but uh, there are things like um, in Hamilton, they uh, they cast um, they cast African Americans in some of the um, in uh in for some of the parts and then um some of the ki- kids were told that um obama was the first black president and they were like but what about jefferson because they thought jefferson <laughs> was president because that's uh, because they cast um for um diversity um in in the musical mm. so uh yeah there's a little bit of like um and uh things like the movie that um Matt Damon was in with the Great Wall um was like why is there a white person in the middle of ancient China <laughs> yeah that, that was a bit that. that was a bit weird I have to admit uh, <laughs> there's a lot of like well okay so we're we're doing stuff that does like did historically exist but there is that beautiful blurring of like what's real and not real that's within that in itself um because of um some of the modern uh, modern retellings of um of things i i really do wonder with hamilton like on the one hand, I've heard stories yeah. of like it's gotten kids more excited about American history and that kind of stuff. On the other hand, I can uh, like I, I don't honestly know because I don't know any American history teachers, but like I can I'm really wondering, like, do they love it because it gets kids excited or do they hate it because they suddenly think that all these people were races and ethnicities that they weren't in real life? I really don't know. I can see it going <laughs> either way. Oh, there's another controversy that's come up uh, recently. And I'm, I'm talking just as a Jewish person. I watched um, a fantastic um, British show. Unfortunately, I've forgotten what it was called. But it was about the uh, 1960s and Jews fighting Nazis uh, in England. And uh, I watched it and uh, I was in tears. I thought it was brilliant. And then I found out there was an argument on the internet. Why didn't they cast Jewish actors in the Jewish roles? I thought... That really wasn't necessary. These people did a fantastic job. So suddenly we've got this controversy that actors can only act as if they're themselves. Well, if I only get limited to roles for Australian Jewish uh, males that are 57, I'm probably not going to be in very many roles at all. I just think best person for for the job. I didn't like the controversy. I thought I've seen a lot of Jewish people depicted in films by non-Jewish actors who really just nailed it. And some of these films are very important to me. Um, I mean, the the one about the Bielski brothers, um, that one it was uh, just amazing. And uh, I believe the main actor, I forgot his name, Daniel, um, plays 007. He plays the oldest Bielski. He nailed it as a Jewish guy. So I've got no problem with that, but I can understand people not wanting someone to actually put on black makeup to be um, an African-American or someone getting fake eyes to be an Asian. So I think it comes down to quality. Uh, 
at the same time, if somebody did uh, black up and they were just so convincing nobody knew the difference, then I'd really have to look at it again. But I'm against all of this thing nowadays where they say, no, if you're going to play that role, you have to be of that ethnicity. I think that's yeah, wrong. I, I got to disagree with you that, but then we've diverted so far away yeah. from the beer documentary <laughs> that we're now just getting into awkward discussions that yeah <laughs> that's an extra then that's an extra you can work on yeah, yeah well imagine you're not allowed to play a zombie unless you actually are a zombie well. oh uh michael i believe you're uh muted if me yeah, yeah oh yeah no i was just gonna say that i think it's important to remember that abraham lincoln vampire hunter was a historically accurate film <laughs> <laughs> and i think and i think from that from that maybe we can move on to talking about in the dark which i, I wanted to say something a long time ago if i can if i can yeah, change yeah. the subject um somebody had mentioned uh i think it, neil maybe you had talked about it, watching horror movies as a kid and, and some other people had referenced that and i think um one of the interesting things about the documentary is that the experience of fear changes quite a lot, at least for me, has changed quite a lot from when I was young to, to now. And I think Sam talked about the kinds of things he likes to put in films. And I think as a kid, I was afraid of, you know, like I was afraid of Jason or Freddie or whatever. Now I'm afraid of like existential ideas. And like, so I want to watch a movie that, that like, it, you know, drills into my brain. I know, Neil, you watched Possession yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, First that movie think, is like yeah. a very disturbing, like it's a powerful movie. But it's not like there's a jump scare in it or there's no. something that, that there's like a I mean, there is sort of a monster, I guess. I guess in yeah. It. Um, but it's just a very different experience as you become at least at least for me. I mean, I don't know what everybody's you know experiences are like, but as you become sort of more immersed in the world of horror and the world of, of um, kind of art in terms of exploring fear and exploring the experience of discomfort, um, I think I, I'd like to think we become more sophisticated and approach things to, to look at real ways of getting deep, deep down into the experiences and the anxieties of, um, you know, ourselves and of other individuals rather than like jump scares or, you know, cr creating uh, like there's a monster that's under the bed. Yeah, well, that's like uh, the movie. The thing I think is so great because as a kid, I just loved it for the monsters. And then when you're older, I mean, there's so much more going on in the movie, you know, the paranoia and different things that can like, and it's also fun to watch monsters, but uh, it can work uh, from all different ages. Also, well, along those lines, I always get annoyed when people post on social media, like so-and-so movie didn't scare them. So like they didn't like it. And I'm thinking like, I mean, if I didn't like any horror movies that didn't like actually scare me, like I would like, like no movies. I mean, well, that, that's such a, since I was that, sick, you know, that, that's, that's such a subjective thing, though. I mean, what scares you is so subjective. I mean, to me, so jump scares, th this is not a unique opinion, but I do think it's a true one, which is that jump scares, they're startling for sure. But so is, you know, if you were to like, you know, hold something spooky in front of someone's <laughs> face, all of a right. sudden, yeah, you're going to jump, obviously, but that's, you know, and guess what? Water is wet, you know, big, big <laughs> insight, you know, but to me, scary is a lot deeper than that. And that's why I like, in my segment of the film, it's why I brought up the exorcist because to me, there is the visceral effect of like, yeah, you know, head spinning around, vomiting, you know, uh, demonic possession, all that stuff. There's that. But to me, it's a lot deeper than that. It's about, you know, and it's a scene that was cut out of the theatrical cut, but it was restored in the, the later, the, the version you've never seen. Uh, and when it was the scene of, you know, why this girl, it makes no sense. And it's all about, you know, why is this happening? It's to corrupt 
that which is good and it's to destroy the priests and anybody witnessing this thing is to destroy them on a much deeper level on uh, the belief that there is anything good in the world you know that that there is such a thing as goodness or beauty or anything you know that's worth anything it's just the destruction of that which is good and i just to me that's a lot more horrific or even like um hellraiser totally different kind of movie um but even something like that it's not it's not the fact that a person is being torn apart and it's a puddle of guts that's coming back together slowly. That's not what's scary. The scariness is that it's a person's, you know, the, what's the line will tear your soul apart. It's the idea of being torn apart on an existential deeper level. Um, and the physical reflects that, which is happening inside. And you see that even more in Hellraiser too. Um, that to me is a lot scarier or like the thing you mentioned with the paranoia, with the mistrust, with the fact that, you know, for all we know, all of them are the thing and they don't even realize it, you know, they might as well be, um, you know, so it's, that is a lot scarier, something that makes you think, and if it can affect you on a visceral level, uh, all the better. That's why the exorcist works so well, because it does affect you on a visceral level, but it's, Preferably, it makes you think about the deeper theological questions at work. Yeah, I think um, well, one of the thing I thought just just to say about with the uh, the documentary when it came to like people telling their dreams and hearing people's different interpretation of dreams, like Fausti's dream about the anamorphic shapes and stuff. Yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of the documentary uh, The Nightmare, which is all about sleep paralysis. So when he was talking about that, that's what made me think of that sort of imagery. And I couldn't get something as good as what they did. But it was interesting to see how obviously sleep paralysis plays with so many people. And I've suffered sleep paralysis and I've had some nasty stuff with it. But again, I'll use that, the horror movies. And it's just interesting to see it keep coming up. And it's either a nostalgic sort of element of something from the past that kind of infects into a fear as a nightmare or it's this, yeah, this deep primal thing like paralysis, which is just like for everyone, everybody gets paralysis. <clears throat> so yeah, it was, it was just cool to hear those sort of dreams and especially Ron Ford's one. And he did that awesome animation with the Batman. Uh, it was just like, you were how old when you had this horrific nightmare? But again, you take the times in and we're talking the times of, you know, the nuclear crisis and stuff like that. So it makes sense. So he has more of those worldwide historically connected sort of dreams and it was really cool that so many people got to be able to share and put them across yeah <laughs> uh, yes um on that topic um uh, like the reason why terminator is one of my favorite films um is uh that well uh, well terminator was set in a time when people were actually like quite afraid of technology and so that was an expression of them of uh that um they connected with the audience on that level that they felt this fear of technology and the fear of war and the fear of um, these machines being used for war. Um, and that's what connected with so many people. And what I absolutely loved about it and what I really connected with was that the main character, Sarah Connor, she was the one that wasn't afraid. She stood up against that. And, um, and so love and that that maternal instinct to protect her child like overcame that and so um like that's why i absolutely love the film because it's like um it it's just got that 
deep, meaningful message about that confronting that fear and overcoming and how to overcome that fear um, for the protection of the next generation. Well, and a, a, good, you, a good horror film that does that and an Australian one to boot is The Babadook, actually. Because um, yeah. that's all about, you know, a mother dealing with grief and ultimately learning to put the grief aside in service of her child who's also suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I think what it's Vixie just said before is the key. Uh, the key was what you just said before, Vixie, connection. And I think that's where um, where Sam's uh, documentary comes in. So you, you you don't get scared that much by uh, by a film unless you connect with something. So you're actually scared for what's going to happen to um, to the people in the film. Otherwise, you're just going to sit back and it's just happening. It's it's not hitting you on an emotional level. With um, with uh, Sam's documentary, you've got all of these interesting people that uh, many of them you can see here. And the viewer connects with the personal stories they're telling. So I think that's where In the Dark really starts to hit. Otherwise, nobody's going to care about a bunch of people talking about something they don't care about. But as soon as you talk about, when I was a child, I had this dream. Or Vixie saying, I got bullied in school. People go, oh, you got bullied and they connect. No, I totally agree. So uh, Sam, what is the, um, what's the plans to do with In the Dark? Uh, Dark Side releasing, which uh, Vince D'Amato, who was in the documentary, they're going to be releasing the film probably around spring next year. So I've got time to fix those credits and uh, iron out any little bits. Um, and then, yeah, really, they're, they're going to be doing distribution for it, really, and try and get it out there. I don't think I'm going to approach too many uh, film festivals because the idea, again, I've been with, well, we've all been with this project for a long time. So I'd rather just get it out there and with Dark Sides, I, I love Dark Sides, so I trust them with what they do with the films. So yeah, let them run with it and see where it goes, basically. And uh, what any uh, thing you're working on currently, and then we'll go around with everybody. Yeah, and we've uh, we had uh, Terra Blatchy Forest out recently. Uh, next week, me and Chris are going to shoot a found footage horror movie, yeah. so that should be some good fun. And yeah, just making plans for next year. Always keeping things moving. Yeah, you're prolific. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's yeah. the thing. Uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael Fausti, what are you working on? Um, I'm currently working on a segment for a horror anthology called uh, Video Shop Tales of uh, Terror. Uh, Kickstarter's still running if anybody wants to chuck some money in. Um, and it all kind of works. With the wraparound is kind of like this video shop where people come in and rent various tapes, and each tape represents a kind of segment of the story. Um I've got to be a little bit hush hush about my segment. All right, it. all right, fair enough. I'm working on a working on a segment for that at the moment, but uh, it'll be uh, disturbing and sleazy. I hope in equal measure. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of sleazy, let's see what Mike Lutz can do. So, um, doing a bunch of uh, finishing up a bunch of short film projects, but. Um, doing an anthology that is um, in conjunction with Stephen Stahl and the Sick and Wrong Film Festival called Fat Fleshy Fingers. We, we mostly shot our segment. Um, it's the, all the segments are about this uh, sexual parasite worm that transmits from person to person. So ours is about it, it living in a mummy and uh, the guy getting it from catching it from a mummy. 
Um, and then uh, I'm working on this other project, which you probably haven't heard about, Neil, but it's uh, it's called the Once in Future Smash. Yeah, I've not and heard it's of it. uh, you heard of it. Yeah. So Neil is also uh, producing, helping produce this project. And um, it's a mockumentary about two guys who played the same slasher character in the 1970 film End Zone 2. And um, we're hopefully going to get that get that wrapped up in the next uh, few months, starring um, Bill Whedon and uh, Michael St. Michaels and. It's been delayed long enough by the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, and not, yeah. not ready to ready to get yeah. it wrapped up. Well, it's been very exciting the last uh, month or so, getting a lot of things uh, done for it. Yeah, we've actually been able to get back to work on it and shot a bunch of stuff for it. So, yeah. uh, how about yourself, Dane? Well, um, I'm eager to get back into some more filmmaking because, like again, throughout the pandemic, I had a lot of bad things happen. You know, lost couple of jobs, moved a bunch of times, uh, you know, lost my fiance, all that kind of stuff. But uh, this year I was able to bounce back with a video review series called Oztober, uh, 31 days in October, 31 different Oz related uh, film and TV adaptations on my rebranded channel called Dangerous Arts, D-A-N-E-J-U-R-O-U-S. And uh I am now actually in the making of, uh, in the process of making the next big month long deep dive, which will be April in Wonderland, which will be 30 days of 30 different Alice in Wonderland adaptations. And that one actually will have a storyline uh, connecting the reviews together. And it will be uh, with a psychological horror edge to it because there are a lot of horrific elements in Alice in Wonderland as a story that I will be exploring. And, uh, you know, I'll be able to, you know, get my toes wet again in the world of horror filmmaking, which I haven't done in a while because of the pandemic. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, the channel is Dangerous Arts. The series I finished was Oztober. So please check it out. Very cool. And uh, David. Oh, we've got um, uh, in uh, Toxic Alien Zombie Babes Matter Space. We're shooting the final scenes uh, over Christmas. That actually should have been released uh, a couple of months ago, but um, whereas everybody else shot their stuff around this around the world, Gerardo said he didn't like my self taping, and uh, he basically I've got to get uh, a proper crew out. So finished Toxic Alien Zombie Babes Matter Space that has been shot around the world and is a huge feature. Uh, we just released two features back to back. One's David. David Black's Dark Ditties from Down Under, which is uh, a hosted anthology of maybe uh, 10 or 11 of uh, my shorts. And we released Badass Bunyip. So whereas uh, I've mainly been known as a short filmmaker, I've actually got, um, well, four features out. I forgot. We did a documentary called In Your Shorts that was originally created for um, for Channel 44 in Adelaide, and it went out on Channel 44 but it also got shown on 13 other community TV stations around the world. So we've got our documentary that um, in, um, shows a few uh, shorts, but also introduces different people from the indie film industry, some who are just starting, some who have been around a while, some who are actors, models, filmmakers. What are your hopes, dreams, fears, that sort of thing? So, um yeah, but I suppose the main thing is just finish off Toxic Alien Zombie Babes from Outer Space. In three weeks' time, go back to filming again, and we're finishing off a short film called Game of Groans, which um, 
I probably shouldn't talk about that, uh, but uh, it's very much one of those schlocky um, horror films uh, like people have gotten used to with uh, my shorts, with all of the bad humour. It's got a girl gang that attacks um, a whole bunch of nerdy gamers. And then after that, um, it might be the first time to stop and think since the pandemic, what do I actually want to do? It's been go, 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 making so many films, uh, thinking, uh, working towards an old plan. And the world changed in the last five years. We're just talking about the pandemic. But five years ago, like what Vixie was saying with bandwidths, some of the stuff we're able to do now with um, sending stuff was much more difficult five years ago. It was like, hey, do you want to be uploading this for three days? Now it's um, you can upload it in 12 hours. Get what I mean? Uh, we can get footage, take footage out. So it's like, where's the world at now? I mean, does anybody even watch television? I've been doing stuff for TV goes out on tv i don't own one i've got to work out where where's it all happening where's it at what i mean five years ago we were still um doing photo shoots and putting them in magazines does anyone pick up a magazine everyone was discussing today returning to the theater and some some of us uh said well i'm not going to the theater much and we're all theater addicts i don't know where the world's at so as soon as I finish this last one, it's the last last couple that were already in plan according to a five-year plan that I put together years ago. And it's like, will somebody tell me what's happening in the world, where we are, what we're doing, so I can make new plans? I think your new plans ought to be to put in your shorts as a double feature with sugar and have it play at one of those theaters that Paul Rubens might attend and then he leaves with the police escort, if you know what I'm saying. No. <laughs> Sorry. How about yourself, Fixie? Are you uh, working on all these things with David? Uh, well, I am working with uh, Toxic Alien Zombie Babes. Um, I, too, have um, a few more, uh, a, a few scenes that we need to pick up uh, that are not quite there yet. Um, and, well, I mean... <laughs> Speaking of documentaries, um, I have been doing some research and development on one that is actually about how uh, World of Warcraft may have saved us from all being killed by COVID. Oh, I know so, what you're talking about. Yeah. When they put a virus in World of Warcraft, saw how it spread, and then yeah. um, it ended up becoming the model used for our pandemic. Yes, exactly. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm currently working on that, but it's in its developmental stages at the moment. We've just been starting with the uh, basic research and um, and development for it. Well, hang on. They're going to throw you off the documentary because you're a blood elf, aren't you? <laughs> well, <laughs> I They don't want blood elves on this. No, no, it's <laughs> orcs only for this. You, they can't have you on it. Even if it's your idea and your equipment, no. I am a Torin. Make sure you get uh, clips. People. Make sure you get clips from the South Park episode "Make Love Not Warcraft" because <laughs> uh, they worked with uh, they worked with the people from Blizzard, and they actually, while they were recording the game footage, they actually had 
what happens in the episode they actually had that happen for real where like someone jumped in on this on the uh, event and was wrecking everything and they had like defcon 5 they had like codes that they had to input to get him out and that sort of stuff so i mean it's it's serious business and that would actually go right yeah. in hand that would go hand in hand with the what you're talking about that's great ideas um well i mean one of the major parts that i'm uh, building that I think is supposedly unique um, is I'm going to be coordinating with um, other streamers um, f- to have actual gameplay um, in the documentary. So um, we're going to have like it's a participatory documentary. So people are going to be able to participate um, on a live server, uh, um, streaming live, and then. Um, uh, there'll be uh, another component of it um, edited together with uh, the experts' input. Interesting. Uh, how about Chris? I, I, I'm sorry if I forget Chris here. Chris. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no worries. Huh? Yeah. Um, well, well, do you have anything in, in, the, in the plans, in the works? Um, yeah, I've got a few things oh. coming up with Sam. Um, so working on that uh, fan footage film that we're doing, uh, what, next weekend? Next weekend. Yep, next weekend. Um, and then for the rest of the year, it kind of goes a little bit quiet. And then in the new year, uh, there's going to be some stuff coming out. Very cool. And does Pat patch have anything going on? Patch has got lots going on. Yeah. Yeah. Or do you want to just moan about not going outside? (laughs) (laughs) I may have not shut up. I apologize. (laughs) So in the dark, it's going to be coming out next year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully around spring, uh, we'll have more confirmation beginning of next year. And obviously we'll post it around so people know. Cool. And where can people follow? uh, It's autumn. What was that? Sorry. In Australia, his spring is our autumn. (laughs) All around the world. (laughs) Oh, hang on. You Americans call it fall. Uh, We use both autumn and fall, I believe. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, good. I, I just wanted to make sure there wasn't a language problem here. Because yeah. Americans <laughs> use this word ass a lot. They put it into word in, into sentences. And uh so I'm somebody was talking about fat ass rain. And I'm thinking, do raindrops have um have asses? <laughs> and some of them are bigger than others. And it was just getting me really confused. So yeah, I would I would recommend don't Google fat ass rain because I can imagine <laughs> the Google images on that is yeah, not you, had, you get to my website. You get to my website. <laughs> that, yeah, it's exactly that's how I met Mike. So. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But language wise, we all did communicate quite well today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, and well, one last thing, how do people follow trash arts or wherever uh, in the dark? So how can they follow that to see exactly when uh, it's going to be coming out? Uh, go to trash arts UK on Facebook, on Twitter is trash arts film. And then YouTube is trash arts productions. And you can keep in touch with all the things we're going. And of course, go on dark side releasings uh, website. Cause they'll obviously be updating with the new releases they have coming in the future too. Very good. All right. Well, this has been very fun. Glad to uh, talk with all of you. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Thanks Thanks, Sam for having us in your documentary. Um, And it's a wonderful insight. Um, uh, As they say, when you really know someone, if you know their their hopes, dreams and fears, and I think you've covered those in your documentary. Thank you very much. Thank you for everyone being involved. Honestly, it's not fair without everyone being involved. So thank you. Pleasure. Right. Well, good night, everybody. Well, good night, Pat. Good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
That's not Patch. <laughs> That's another one. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hang up. Uh, <laughs>